0: Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's
1: C-O-N-C-U-R dot Now, your ideas don't have to wait. Now, they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, and evolving your passions. They push what technology can do, So great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at Dell.com. Welcome to NOW. When you think about the future,
0: what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast
2: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with How Stuff Works and iHeartRadio. And I love all things tech. And it is time for another classic episode of Tech Stuff. The episode you are about to hear originally published on June 4th, 2012. It is called Tech Stuff Mines Some Asteroids. And I remember when we recorded this because it was kind of funny. It was right around the same time that Stuff You Should Know was recording an episode about asteroid mining. And we didn't know that they were doing it. and They didn't know we were doing it. So... There was a, a bit of a rush, a, a gold rush, if you will, on asteroid mining podcasts that all came out of HowStuffWorks at around the same time. But it was completely uncoordinated because that's how we roll here at the podcast world. I hope you guys enjoy this classic episode. I'll be back in just a moment. Um, so that was a that was a hint. Actually, it would be more like, "Run, coward!" <laughs> we're talking today about asteroids. Uh, we did an episode about, you know, figuring out how to deflect an asteroid if it were coming toward the Earth uh, in a in a threatening manner. Like it said, "This is a nice play you got here." It'd be mm-hmm. a shame if someone I don't know flattened it. Um, <laughs> So apart from dealing with asteroids trying to extort your planet for, for various resources,
3: uh, we wanted to talk about extorting asteroids for resources. I'm a little frightened right now. Uh, I, I'm a little goofy right now. <laughs> yeah. Bonus points if you get the reference uh, to the video game in which you do mine asteroids. Yes. So we're talking about asteroid mining and
0: why would we do it? What? How would we do it? and what's going on with that whole idea anyway. Now, before we get started, I should mention, we do on HowStuffWorks.com have an article about how asteroid mining will work. The will there is important because as of this moment, we are not mining asteroids. We have um, ideas about how we would do this, and there is, in fact, a company that exists right now that plans on mining asteroids, but that even that plan is about a decade out from fruition, assuming everything goes well.
3: Yeah, just just for the record, I, I want to state that I'm I'm coming up with my own company to pan for asteroids. Yeah, uh, I'm not certain exactly how we'll do it, but I I'm going to make an effort.
0: I claim that there are a lot of them on the ground of the Georgia Renaissance Festival, which is you know most people would just call it gravel, but I maintain it's actually asteroids, and that um, they are. Uh, they're they're intruding upon my property cuz okay, I then. claim them because we'll we'll get into the complications of the le- legal system and mining for asteroids in a little bit because um
3: well we're we're treading new ground in space. Well that's that's true. Actually some of the people involved with this company are are very interested in space anyway. I mean they they uh have been sort of um Citizen supporters of the space effort, you might say. Yeah. Uh, people like Larry Page and Eric Schmidt. Yes, Googlers. Yes, yes, and uh, James Cameron.
0: Yes, uh, who has um, has made a movie or two uh, involving uh, space exploration um, documentaries, I should say. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's he's done some uh, documentaries about uh, ocean stuff as well as space stuff. Yes. Game over, man. So uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk a bit about, let's talk a bit about, in general, about mining asteroids and why you would want to. Okay. Well, here's why. If we ever want to get to a point where we're getting off this rock to move to some other rock, uh, one of the big problems that faces us is where do we get our raw materials in order to make the kind of infrastructure we will require in order to, say, survive somewhere else yeah it's not like you can go
3: and take it all with you
0: not easily anyway because well and right now there really is no way because the last cargo carrying uh, uh, ships that we use the space shuttle are retired so now we have to build specific vehicles to launch stuff out there into space because uh, the the vehicles we would have used are no longer in service but um, and there's no At least in the United States, there's no plan to replace them anytime soon. Right. So uh, at least not by the the government. Right. Privately could be a different issue. In fact, privately is really where all this is, is falling upon. But if we were to try and create a colony, say, upon the moon's surface or on Mars, we would need to be able to get materials to that place in order to... Uh, create the right environment for to sustain life because I don't know if you realize this, but um, they are both rather hostile environments when it comes to uh, human survivability. Right, not I'd easy to that. survive. Yeah, if you've if you've seen the documentary Total Recall, you know that if you were to take your mask off in Mars, your eyes would pop out of your head and uh, you would turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, little known fact. Okay, for in reality. We could not survive in either place without life support systems. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So how do we get the stuff we need to the plants, including things like water and oxygen? Shipping? That's part of it, actually. Uh, we would we would likely ship stuff in various kinds of, uh,
3: of, of vessels, but... When you absolutely, positively need it there in three months.
0: It would be so much better if we could get that material either from wherever it is we land or nearby... Asteroids, Right. And as it turns out, a lot of asteroids have materials in them that would be very useful in either life support features or in building out an infrastructure itself. And uh, in fact, in our article, we talk about three basic categories of asteroids. Yes. All right. There's the C-type asteroid, which is the vast majority of the types that we would find in our solar system. Yeah. And by the way, uh, we mainly think that asteroids are – sort of uh, remnants of the formation of the solar system. Yeah. So in leftovers. some case, leftovers, sometimes it's from uh, perhaps a, a, a collision, a, an interstellar collision, uh, but mostly it's just leftovers from the
3: solar system itself forming. So it's sort of like, you know, when you take apart a piece of electronic equipment or a yeah, car's engine and you reassemble it and then there's the there's pieces.
0: I think of it like as any time I buy anything from Ikea. And I think, uh-oh, there's some pieces here that should have been used in the formation of this cabinet, and yet here they are in my hand, and I don't see any place to put them in. Uh-huh. Three years later, all my dishes break. The two are the two I, I maintain are not connected. <laughs> no one tell my wife. Anyway, so the uh, yeah the, the the asteroids you would expect to find many of the same elements within asteroids as you would find within the various planets and other bodies in our solar system. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, that is exactly the case. So in the C-type of asteroid, which comprises about 75% of the asteroids in our solar system, they have uh, a lot of the same elements that you would find in our in the sun apart from hydrogen and helium mm-hmm. and other volatile Uh, uh, elements because they would have boiled off into space, which is really too bad because helium, mining for helium would be great because as it turns out, we're running out on Earth. And you know the main culprit of why we're running out of helium on Earth? Balloons. That's right. It's crazy to think about, but those party balloons that we enjoy oh so very much are actually a problem in scientific research because helium is very useful for doing things like using it as a cooling agent. Mm -hmm. You know, the Large Hadron Collider uses liquid helium to get the superconductors as cold as possible to reduce electrical resistance. But meanwhile, little Timmy, who's speaking like this because he's been breathing in his balloon all day long,
3: has just set scientific research back four decades. Thanks, Timmy. Happy frickin' birthday. Well, you can can switch to hydrogen. I I can't see a problem with that unless, of course, the uh, balloons get too near the birthday candles.
0: Right. Yes. so hydrogen, uh, combustible, don't put it near the birthday candles. Um, Unless, you know, you don't like Timmy. Anyway, moving on. uh, So that's C-type of asteroid. Then we've also got the S-type of asteroid. This is about 17% of the asteroids we would find in our solar system. And they contain magnesium, nickel, and iron. These are very useful elements. Uh, The M-type asteroid, not an M-type planet, as we learned in Star Trek, which, by the way, no scientific basis there. They just decided to call it M-type planet to mean any sort of Earth-like planet that uh, a human being could survive upon. M is for Earth. Yes. No. (laughs) M is for my planet. So the M-type asteroids have uh, nickel and iron. And so... Once we see these asteroids out there, we you know most of them exist between Mars and Jupiter in a belt, an asteroid belt. Uh, you may remember famous explorations of asteroid belts, like in the documentary uh, *Empire Strikes Back*, which was uh, had a very uh, spirited exploration of an asteroid belt. What?
3: Yes, they have giant
0: animals on them. They do not. That is. That's me being silly again. But no, the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter is where the majority of the asteroids in our solar system reside. But sometimes they break free from that belt and they float around in space. Occasionally they come near the Earth, uh, near being a relative term. We're talking in thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. But that's still relatively close when you think space is enormous. So uh, we would probably be targeting the asteroids that break free first they'd be the easiest to get to. Getting to the asteroids beyond Mars would take so much time that perhaps by the time they would get back with whatever resources you were trying to mine, you might not have anything to build anymore. Yeah. So uh, the asteroids that break free, we can actually determine what type of asteroid they are based upon the way they reflect light. Mm -hmm. And that's because different materials reflect light in different ways, and you will get a different spectrum if you were to, uh, to measure that light. Right. And based upon the, the composition of the light that you are looking at, based upon that, you could determine what kind of elements are in that asteroid, and you could figure out, oh, well, this is a perfect candidate for us to go and mine. And there are other elements that could also be on, on an asteroid, including oxygen, uh, platinum, gold, both, of, both gold and platinum are very useful in electronics, mm-hmm. and uh, perhaps even water. Mm-hmm. So you might be able to find frozen water on an asteroid, which could be uh, obviously very important to human survival. So if you find a few asteroids with frozen water on it and you mine them, you get the water off of that, you bring it to whatever space colony you have, then you can have not just
3: water but also oxygen. Yep. Yep. And I understand, too, that uh, it's possible that rare Earth metals might yep. be on some of these asteroids. And, and gold and platinum kind of fall into that category,
0: yeah. but but others as well. Yeah. Others, and, and these are very important, like I said, in electronics. You know, platinum, as it turns out, is very useful in electronics, but uh, is also very rare on Earth. So, again, one of those things where we would be able to uh, to exploit a, an asteroid without having to do the same thing on the surface of the planet. You mm-hmm. know, clearly, mining on Earth can be a very disruptive process. Oh, yes. It can be ecologically disastrous, depending on how you're mining and what it is you're mining. Um, so if we were able to offload that, literally, to an asteroid, then that would be beneficial not just from a resources standpoint, but an ecological standpoint. Because, uh, I mean, really, who cares if your asteroid is... Falling apart, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's no one there. Um, so using telescopes, we look at these asteroids. We determine what, is, what those asteroids are made of ba- based on the light that's coming back. And then that would allow us to say which ones are good candidates for mining. Now, how would we actually mine the asteroids? Okay, um, that's a good question. I'll admit. Uh, turns out um, no one has the answer. <laughs> right, right now, because because we're we're just not there yet. Even the company that we were talking about, which is called Planetary Resources, mm-hmm. Planetary Resources, they they come out and admit they're like, um, we don't know how we're going to mine these asteroids because that's a decade out yeah. at best. What we're going to do is we're going to build the machines that can identify asteroids, detect asteroids, travel to asteroids, and by the time we get to the, that point. Hopefully, we figured out what the best way of mining these asteroids would be.
3: Mm-hmm. Now, from what I've understood so far in my uh, study of this comprehensive study yeah. of uh, asteroid mining, uh, they're hoping that they can do a lot of work with robots, which makes perfect sense. You want
0: to have an uh, you, you want to have these robotic devices to mine an asteroid because uh, mining mining on its own is dangerous. Yeah, right. And then you add in the the dangers of space travel, which are numerous mm-hmm. and certainly deadly, uh, you do not want to put human lives at risk if you don't have to. Mm-hmm. So a robotic force makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, it it certainly takes away from great documentaries like Armageddon, where, uh, you know, because I, I doubt that the robots would all get together and sing Leaving on a Jet Plane. But on the other hand, it means that those lives would be. Uh, relatively safe.
3: Yeah, you, you think about this, and 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 the way that you might actually tackle the problem yourself, and you, you realize that there are several significant challenges. So let's say money is no object, even. All right, getting there challenge is a one. challenge. Landing on the asteroid safely is going to be a challenge. Mining the asteroid's resources,
0: another challenge. And then getting back. Right. Loading them into your vehicle, which would have to be designed so that not only could it travel to the asteroid, but it could bring a payload back from the asteroid to Earth. Yeah. Now, granted, when you're not dealing with gravity... Uh, out in space, that is a little easier to do in the sense that you don't have to worry about escaping gravity in order to, you know, the the payload's not going to affect you in that sense. But there are other issues as well, like how will the mining activity change the behavior of the asteroid? Mm -hmm. So if the asteroid, for example, is in orbit around Earth, if you start mining the asteroid, is that going to alter the orbit of the asteroid? Yeah. Is it going to possibly either push it to a point where it's going away from Earth, which means that you're going to have to take that into consideration when you're flying back? You're gonna to have to have make sure you have enough fuel to make it back to Earth, um, or that you know you, you've got enough whatever you need, you know, enough power there to get back. Uh, or if it brings it closer to Earth, then you have the consideration of could this potentially create an impact arc where the asteroid could hit Earth? And in some cases, you know, maybe the asteroids of a size that it wouldn't necessarily hold together and perhaps it wouldn't be as big an impact. But anytime you're talking about an impact at that speed, I mean force is mass times acceleration, right? Mm-hmm. So even if your mass isn't very big, if your acceleration is really high, that's that's a lot of force. Yeah. So even a, a relatively small asteroid, if it's not gonna burn up could be pretty uh, a disastrous thing if it hit the Earth. Yes, especially depending on where. I mean, even in the ocean, then you're talking about tsunamis, things like that. So, uh, yeah, there, there's that element as well. And when you're mining it, how do you collect what you're mining? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's an interesting problem too, because if you're if you're talking about an area where there's no gravity, and let's say you're breaking apart the surface of the asteroid in order to get at some resources underneath then you have to have some way of catching that stuff as it's floating away. So there's talk about perhaps there'd be some sort of canopy system Mm -hmm. so that you would have essentially like a net that would catch stuff as it flew off the asteroid so that you didn't lose the resources you're trying to mine. Funicello? Uh, Frankie Avalon. And then there's also the case of uh, – you know what is the specific method of mining? Are you using lasers to try and weaken and break apart material? Are you using other forms of heat? Are you using chemicals? Um, are you using physical force uh, you know the, There are a lot of considerations to make, and frankly, no one has come up with the right approach yet because we still haven 't tried it. You know It may very well be that the first dozen times we try to mine asteroids, we realize. There's got to be a better way because this method is not efficient enough. If, if the process takes more money, time, and effort, than you would uh, then you would have if you tried to get those resources some other way. Then clearly that's not the right answer, right? Because right. all you're doing is throwing money away. So there are a lot of questions to answer at this point, but let's let's talk a little bit about. Uh, Planetary resources. Now, we've mentioned it a, a couple of times, and we talked about how people like James Cameron and Eric Schmidt and Larry Page are interested in supporting this company. And you might think, well, why Why would we worry about – why would we want to support a company that has admitted that the the earliest they expect to be able to actually mine an asteroid would be 10 years from now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And part of it is
3: that – Eight, actually, is what I've seen. Tw- yeah. 2020.
0: Oh, all right. Well, uh, the I was reading an article from Forbes. And Aww. and in the article, they did an interview Aww. with uh, some executives from Planetary Resources, and they talked about uh, why compa- this company is an interesting company and why it may be viable. And uh, it's already making money now. Right now, it's making money through investment, but it's also going to. It's got revenue generation plans for each step in the journey to having a a, a mining asteroid operation.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, or asteroid mining operation. I'm having some issues with some word order. Anyway, order word. The uh, <laughs> the, the first stage is talking uh, about creating a, uh, a space-faring telescope yep. called they, the ARCID-100.
3: Yeah, and they're expecting to be able to do this within the next two years.
0: Yes. And this is uh, telescopes with remote sensing technology. And the idea is to launch around six or so of these telescopes into low Earth orbit. And uh, each one would be part of a second – it would be a secondary payload. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you would not send a spacecraft up loaded down with these telescopes and that's it. Um, Instead, what would happen is let's say some communications company wants to launch a new communication satellite and enters into a contract with a private company that is going to launch the satellite then Planetary Resources could say, hey, you've got this much cargo space left over in the vehicle. Can we put one of our telescopes in there with your communication satellite and have it deployed in that same mission? And thus it'll save money in that it's not having a a dedicated flight just for the telescopes. Right. That's the idea anyway. Chris and I have to go digging on some more asteroids in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsor. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot
1: Now, your ideas don't have to wait. Now, they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business and evolving your passions. They push what technology can do, so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life
3: That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash
4: strategic.
0: So these telescopes would be able to uh, look out into space with the idea that they're, they're looking for asteroids. So it's I- asteroid location, identification, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, this could be useful for lots of other uh, purposes, though. And so the thought behind planetary resources is that they could even rent out time on these telescopes for other... Uh, facilities so that they could do research on you know whatever some astronomical approach mm-hmm. and so these telescopes which are you know when you're floating in space you've got some you, you can get some really nice pictures of stuff because you don't have to worry about atmospheric interference and um, and so you might be able to make quite a bit of money l- essentially leasing out these telescopes mm-hmm. also I like the idea that one of the other benefits to this approach is the possibility of being able to identify potentially problematic asteroids much earlier than otherwise we might be able to. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a legitimate concern as well. There are there are plenty of astronomers out there who say, we need to be able to identify asteroids that could potentially become a problem um, and then be able to come up with a solution to that problem. And we talked about that in our, our podcast about as, could an asteroid destroy the Earth, and what could we do to stop that?
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, as it turns out, blowing it up is the wrong answer, by the way. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, that's one a great th- episode. You should listen to it.
3: There's lots of other points we make in it, besides <laughs> don't blow it up. Um, one of the interesting things, too, about these telescopes is we're not talking about something the size of, say, the, the Hubble telescope. No. Uh, these are actually very small and could be held in your hand. Yes. um. And uh, the company expects, too, that it could cost less than uh, $10 million, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's a pretty small amount, really, when you start talking about space exploration. So it is a uh, an easy way for them to, if you'll pardon the pun, get off the ground with the effort.
0: Yeah. And then their next phase, so the ARCID-100 would be phase one. Phase two is the ARCID-200 series. Now, this is, of course, something, you know, even the ARCID-100 ARCID is in the prototype stage or, or the research and, and planning stage. Uh, ARCID-200 would be the next, <clears throat> the next generation, and uh, these would be uh, equipped with additional stuff on it to help the telescope uh, maintain a higher orbit. So the 100 series would be in a low Earth orbit, so essentially falling toward the Earth. All the time. The 200 would be in a higher orbit and would be equipped to track asteroids and also have propulsion systems built into the telescope itself so that uh, you could change their orientation and orbit path from the ground. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you might think um, we spotted this one asteroid, but we're not in an ideal position in order to really hone in on it. So we're going to move the telescope uh, so that we can get a better look, right. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, again, they would be leasing this out as well. Then you have the 300 series. That's that's the, that's the final phase of the plan. And the 300 series is this super cool series, in my opinion. Uh, this would oh, be so that's not
3: an official designation then?
0: Not officially. I mean, maybe internally. They have <laughs> not communicated that to the press. But uh, the super cool phase involves the... ARCID 300s, which would be robotic. So they are no longer being controlled from the ground necessarily. They would It would be a swarm of robotic devices that could uh, work together in a network and communicate with each other. So let's say one spots an asteroid, suddenly other ones can all hone in on that same asteroid, and all three could be gathering data simultaneously. One might be using uh, spectrography to figure out What is that asteroid made of? Others might be taking pictures or plotting the course of the asteroid. So you've got this sort of distributed computing model in space with robotic space probes.
3: Slowly moving toward the singularity.
0: And then these would be essentially the same sort of robots that would ultimately mine asteroids. They would work together to mine an asteroid. And uh, how they would do that? Well, We don't know because, like I said, we haven't really determined what the best approach is. And even Planetary Resources says we have no idea how we're going to mine the asteroids yet. We know that we're going to work on that problem, but we've got these other uh, benchmarks we have to meet first before that can even become a consideration. So we're going to focus on achieving these goals with the ongoing goal being let's figure out what the best approach is to mine these things once we have tracked it – launched a a uh, an intercept path with these these robotic entities and then then we'll fix it out you know we'll burn that bridge when we come to it
3: well one of the uh one of the goals though that they're working on is is actually eliminating one of the uh, problems that that jonathan and i were talking about a few moments ago uh because rather than bringing things back to earth necessarily they're talking about the idea of creating well Basically, uh, an interplanetary gas station. Yeah. Uh, they want to, to create a, a station where uh, once you launch from Earth, you could stop to refuel and get more supplies. And the supplies would be replenished from asteroid mining. So, you know, you could stop. Uh, we need pick to up get some more platinum. <laughs> some water, some platinum, pick up a, a, a big drink. Yeah, a big maybe uh maybe, yeah, maybe a pecan log. <laughs> Stucky's in space.
0: <laughs> that's going to make no sense
3: to anyone who doesn't live in the southeast. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that's all right. I'm okay with that. Southeast um, United States I should add. Yeah, good point. Um so yeah, I mean that's that's sort of the the uh the next step after that. The uh Yeah. Know. I think
0: uh I think it every doesn't time sound very glamorous Every but, time uh, the robots deliver more uh, material to this interstellar um, gas station, I think there should be an alert on Earth, like whatever computer is designed to uh, indicate that there's been a new delivery. I think that the uh the verbal alert should be good news, everyone <laughs> because I can't believe we've gone this far talking about planetary resources and asteroid mining, and we haven't referenced Futurama yet uh, uh-huh. so which is an awesome show uh, but I'll, uh, let's also talk about the legality of mining asteroids because this is this yeah, that's is the funny part. This is kind of complicated because we're talking about stuff that no one's managed to do yet. So really we don't have a whole lot of laws about it because uh well it really wasn't pertinent, you know, there's no reason to make a law because who was going to do it.
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's we talk about these kinds of things all the time about uh going under sea and salvaging a wreck. Um, you yeah. know a ship that that sunk You know, six hundred years ago, they find it,
0: and and depending on whether or not it's in international waters, it may fall
3: into that wonderful category of finders keepers. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, do you have the right to build a base in Antarctica? Yes, Um, you do. Yes, I do. Uh, I've um, got a, I've got a certificate on my wall. Hey, cool. I have the right to do
0: that. I haven't done it yet. I tried one in the Arctic, but then this thing crashed. And uh, I haven't heard from them in a while, so maybe I should check on that. Oh, nice! There's a great carpenter up there too. I'm gonna check and see how how John the carpenter over there is doing. <laughs> um,
3: wow, that was a lot of references. So, so the question is, uh, if there is an asteroid in space, um, and three or four countries want to go mine it. Whose asteroid is it to mine? So here's here's where we stand.
0: Back in 1967... Believe it or not. There was a, a document that was put into law called the Outer Space Treaty. Now, I'm sure any aliens that exist out there would object to not being included in the Outer Space Treaty. You mean like Kang? Yeah, and Kodos. Don't blame me. Uh, anyway... Joking aside, there was this. There's really is an outer space really? treaty that was signed in 1967, and that's really what it's called. And uh, it, Article Two specifically states: Outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, is not subject to national appropriation by claim of sovereignty, by means or of use or occupation, or by any other means. Essentially, saying you cannot fly up into space and say, "I claim this asteroid for Spain." You can't do. Well, you could, but it wouldn't have any legality to it. I I remember. Even uh, if you have a flag, Eddie Izzard fans, even if
3: you have a flag, it does not help. (laughs) Yep. It it doesn't work the way it did in uh, Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century. (laughs) Like I said, this planet's not big enough for the two of us, so
0: off you go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've seen that cartoon probably, I don't know, a, a hundred times at least. Well, been mining this here asteroid for the last 27 minutes, and I just discovered there's ads in them dar hills. Let's listen to one. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change.
1: They have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business and evolving your passions. They push what technology can do, so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com. Welcome to now.
2: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
0: Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience.
1: They have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business and evolving your passions. They push what technology can do, so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com. Welcome to NOW.
2: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
0: According to this, no government agency could claim ownership of a celestial body. Uh, It does not cover private industry because that just, really wasn't in anyone's mind back in 1967. This was during the space race between the United States and the USSR.
3: Yeah. The Soviet Union. And Um, and both were trying to get to the moon, and the thing was, they didn't want anybody to say, you know... The moon is ours. The moon is ours. We got there first, so it's ours. You know, we're going to build military
0: bases all over the moon, and you can't do anything about it. Ha ha, nanny, boo boo. So... Because uh, that was an issue it was a concern time. it was a legitimate concern i mean who knew where the limits could go i mean back in 1967 we didn't know if we were going to just do a quick visit to the moon or if we were going to have a lunar colony i mean you know at the time we we had no way of knowing we would only send a handful of missions to the moon and that would be it
3: well we were in the we were in a time of um of scientific, uh, excitement, I would say. I mean, there are right. people all over the world were excited about the idea of going out into space and going and landing on the moon. And we were also in the middle of a, the, uh, the cold war between the United States and the, the Soviet union, uh, where people were concerned about the ideas of weaponizing space. Yep. Um, still and, are. And yeah, exactly. And so, uh, You know, this was uh, a very real thing that the outer space Treaty was was signed. Um, But now it's pertinent to asteroid mining as well. Yeah. So in general,
0: lawyers who are really the only people we can consult on matters of this nature uh, have said that they think in general, most lawyers anyway, say they think that uh, really appropriation means that you cannot lay claim to an entire celestial body asteroids included like in other words you could not land on an asteroid and say it was yours however you there is nothing in that treaty that would prevent you from landing on the celestial body and mining the heck out of it so if you landed on an, uh, an asteroid and just started a mining operation there's nothing in that treaty to say that that is illegal however you also could not um, you couldn't interfere with someone else's mining operation That would be a problem. So if someone has already set up a mining operation on an asteroid, you could not try and land your mining asteroid right next to it and and take over. That would be a problem. What you could do is land on the other side of the asteroid and start mining it from there. There's nothing stopping you from doing that, Uh, at least nothing in law right now. So you could have multiple companies mining the same asteroid from different points, and it would become kind of like – well, like the Old West – when you think of the gold rush in the Old West, and you had to think of all these different competing groups that were trying to uh, to get pretty scarce resources—at least seemingly scarce resources—and uh, uh, you know there were a lot of um, there were a lot of uh, a lot of little disagreements that popped up as a as a result of that. Uh, You might have heard of some of them (laughs) because the Wild West was kind of built on that, uh, among other things. Besides, you know, it wasn't just the gold rush, but that played a really large part. Well, we could see an equivalent asteroid rush if someone... Now, uh, let's say Planetary Resources identifies an asteroid that is particularly rich with something like platinum, something that is really scarce on Earth. There could be a real rush to try and mine that as much as possible because it could be extremely profitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you might have multiple companies all hitting that asteroid at the same time. As long as you're not interfering with the other people. It's all right. It's all fair game. According to the treaty. And then once you start interfering, then there's problems. Now, I I would suspect that once we get closer to the reality of mining an asteroid, we will see more laws put into place that clarify this because, again, it's really hard to make a law about something that we just can't do yet. Uh, We we can start thinking about it, however, and I think that's the important thing is to start considering the various scenarios that could come out if asteroid mining becomes a reality. And uh, anticipating that so that we can make laws that make sense and protect the parties involved without giving preferential treatment to anyone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It will also be interesting to see what happens if – let's say that you find an asteroid that is positively laden with uh, an element that is incredibly rare on Earth like platinum. Uh, what does that do to the price of platinum? Would that actually impact the price? Would it affect profitability? Impact. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> a deep impact on the price of platinum. Uh-huh. Uh, would it Would it possibly affect the price? Would it? Would that affect the profitability of the venture? In other words, could you actually be making less money mining because you have just made a scarce resource less scarce? Mm-hmm. Now, the planetary resources people said, look, we're going to be uh we're going to be affected by the whole uh, um, uh scarcity issue and the whole supply versus demand issue just like mm-hmm. anyone would be however we're seeing this less as a scarcity uh solution as it is an access solution yeah because we need access to these materials so in other words our our business should be profitable because we're giving companies access to materials they otherwise would not have mm-hmm. it's not that You know, we're talking about scarcity versus versus uh, uh, whether it's it's plentiful. It's just really you need this. We've got it. We'll get it to you. So it's kind of which is kind of just really just looking at the same issue from a slightly different perspective. Now, whether or not that'll hold true, or whether we'll see mining companies, you know, be be initially incredibly successful and then end up falling to pieces because the stuff that they supply is so relatively plentiful, that there's no longer a demand for it, that remains to be seen. I honestly don't think that that's something they're going to have to worry about for probably two decades. You know, that first decade, just getting to the point where they can mine an asteroid and the second decade, worrying about how that's going to fall out as far as supply versus demand, because it's just fallout. Uh-huh, it's just not going to be, uh, I don't think it's going to be an issue, yeah. at least not in the short term. But it's fascinating to think about nonetheless. Yeah. And I, my favorite thing is just thinking about mining asteroids for water. Yeah. I mean, that could be a huge benefit and, and something that's truly necessary if we want to do a lot of interplanetary travel and, and set up a colony somewhere else. Because otherwise, the idea of having to send regular, uh, regular missions filled with water so that whoever is living wherever can continue to, to survive, that's, that's hard.
3: Yeah, well, it's uh, it's expensive to uh, you know basically launch water into space. It's heavy, um, and, and also I can imagine that there is an
0: ethical problem too, because you have so many people on the planet right now who do not have access to clean drinking water. That's right. That to suggest shooting clean drinking water into space for someone else. There's an ethical question that you, there's not easy to answer. I I agree. Now, if there's a way of bringing that water from asteroids back to Earth so that there's more clean water. Then that's that's not so bad. However, really clean water again, just like just like the other issues, it's not really a scarcity problem. It's an access problem. Right. Right. So we've got enough clean water right now to, to help out everybody, but not everyone has access to it. Yep. So that that's a perfect example
3: of what I was talking about before about scarcity versus access. Mm-hmm. But there there's more to it than just drinking water for astronauts. Sure. too, Because they uh, uh, they're talking about the possibility of breaking water down. Into its oxygen com- and hydrogen. Oxygen and hydrogen for fuel. Right.
1: Um, you can
0: use that in fuel cells. Uh, also, oxygen, you can use, I don't know if you know this, but you can use it for breathing. Um, what? Yeah. It's not just helium. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's, I've been doing it for years. I highly recommend it. Cool. I, I tried, I'll have to try that. I tried cutting it off after a while, but that did not go well.
3: Yeah, I, I heard it. Uh, you were
0: kind of blue after that. Yeah, no, I was. I was. I, you know, I was. There's some, there's just a time in my life where I was just feeling a little suffocated, you know. Yeah. So anyway, uh, enough of that
3: weird. We're billi- we're being silly. Well, it's it's a fun topic to talk about. And uh, suffocation like to, or asteroid mining? No asteroid oh, mining. yes, so, definitely. Uh, so, definitely. but it has spawned a lot of jokes and references. But uh, I'm I'm interested to see uh, how how far they can take it. I'd, I'd like to see them actually succeed in it, just to. Yeah, it'd be I mean, kind of fun to to watch, and and it's going to be expensive though.
0: And honestly, we do have to come up with something along the lines of asteroid mining if we want to really make interplanetary travel a reality, because yeah. uh, it's just not feasible to to do everything from Earth and and rely upon that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, we may also get to a point where we land on. Another celestial body that has its own natural resources that we can exploit mm-hmm. so like an m class planet yes, so Mars may not be that planet, uh, there might not no. be a whole lot on Mars that we could use, but there might be a moon mm-hmm. a moon somewhere that would be you know that might have some resources that we could uh, exploit um, so there 's always that possibility as well, but that 's definitely something that we have to develop in order for interplanetary travel to become a reality so Uh, It is in the future if we want this to happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am really curious to see. I I would love to be able to revisit this in 10 years and see how planetary resources went. That wraps up another classic episode of Tech Stuff. (laughs) Those scamps. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And if you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email. The address is at techstuffathowstuffworks.com or pop on over to our website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. There you're going to find links to all of our old episodes as well as to our social media presence and also a link to our merchandise store. So go check those out. See if there's anything there that really tickles your fancy. But leave that out of any emails you send me. I don't don't need to hear that your fancy got tickled. I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C C-O-N-C-U-R O N C U R.com.